Well, hello, everyone. I want to uh, welcome everyone to the show. This is the podcast, Writing Wrongs. My name is William L. Myers, Jr. I'm an author. I'm the author of the Philadelphia Legal Series, and we are broadcasting on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, I have the privilege of talking with David Swinson. David's path to writing was incredibly varied. He was a music promoter. He produced the Atlantic Records album Sound Bites from the Counterculture. He was the force behind the cult classic film Roadside Profits. And then he went on to law enforcement, becoming a decorated police officer and detective with the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. David's novels include The Second Girl, Crime Song, and Trigger, a series he's built around a hard-boiled PI and drug addict, Frank Marr, who I like. Um, we're going to be talking about David's experience as a writer, the art of writing, and his new book, which is coming out in May from Mulholland Books, which is City on the Edge. And I'm reading this right now, and David, I'm really, really enjoying this book. Thank you. Um, welcome to the show. So... Why don't you tell us, why don't you start by telling us how you got into writing? I mean, all this other stuff you did, and then being a very serious and decorated police officer, what what made you make that leap into becoming an author? I actually always wanted to be an author ever since I was 17 years old. And then when I went into college, my, my, I got my degree in, in uh, film communications because I thought I would write screenplays. So in my mind, I was always a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. But, you know, as life would have it, uh, you know, it, I took on, I went on different different paths. And um, I don't know how it happened, but, you know, um, maybe because of my father and stuff like that. I Law enforcement was always, my dad was not in law enforcement, but he was close. Mm -hmm. um, I always liked the idea of becoming a cop, but I never thought I'd stay for as long as I did. And I thought I'd be able to really get some good material there, but I ended up going there originally, maybe for slightly the wrong reasons, but then ended up loving it. And, and it changed my life and I, I just had a passion for it and I stayed for a long time. How long, how long were you a police officer and a detective? 17 years and I was a detective for the bulk of that um i was in uniform for a couple of years and then plain clothes and and then i made investigator pretty quickly and then detective right now i know your first book came out in 2011 were you were you and it was called a detailed man were you mm -hmm. a police officer at the time yeah i was that 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 book was published um actually had a, a really good agent for that book, but couldn't 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 get couldn't get it published, and so it ended up going with a very small publisher called Dimaxicon out of San Francisco, mm -hmm. which I was very happy for. I mean, because that book sort of opened the door for me for exploring first person present tense, mm -hmm. and um, Mar came shortly after it because I, I wanted to create. A character that was so outside of myself. I, I was rejected so many times, like between Detailed Man and other books. We we both know yeah. that feeling, and 
Oh yeah. So then I just decided I'm I'm just going to go do something different, and again something totally outside of myself. And so Frank Marr was created. Yeah, he, he. I mean, he's a very interesting character. I mean, he is really he's a hardcore hardcore ex police officer, private investigator who has this nasty secret that he's a full blown drug addict. Mm -hmm. um, how much of of your experience as a police officer and dealing with crime and, you know, being in Washington, did you bring to that series of books? Um, didn't really deal so much with cocaine. Um, a lot of, a lot of crack and heroin and, mm -hmm. you know, PCP stuff like that. But a part of my job um, as a detective um, through the department of justice of uh, the U S attorney's office was to debrief and interview prisoners. So I spent hours and hours with, with countless prisoners, um, defendants, cooperators, and not so much you know, people that were, were willing to cooperate. Right. And I just learned so much about addiction through them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, crack and heroin are, are different monsters than, than, than cocaine. So I didn't really want to give Frank something that was really difficult to to deal with i mean i i think my inspiration for for frank's addiction was hunter s thompson not i think i know i mean definitely was the inspiration for him because back in the day when i was promoting a club and booking it oh, i had an evening of conversation with hunter s thompson well not me as a host but um him on stage just right talking and right. so i got to know him and uh how he really got away with his lifestyle until of course the end yeah but um so that was my he was my inspiration for frank yeah and i know and i know from from your bio that you had a lot of interactions with a lot of counterculture type of people mm -hmm. um how much of that if any has has made its way into the books it it will into the new one that i'm working on now um, a lot, but um, Frank Marr was sort of a into counterculture. He was a counterculture guy, so mm -hmm. I'm sure that if Tim Leary were around, and, you know Hunter S. Thompson, he'd find a way to make friends with them, <laughs> you know, right. or Abby Hoffman or people like that. You know. Um, let me talk a little bit about about writing. Are you um, are you an organic writer? Do you just sit down and say, "I'm going to put I'm going to put my protagonist in a chapter, and we'll see what happens," or do you um, you know map it all out ahead of time, where you say, "This is where this guy's going to end up. These are the problems he's going to face." Which are you? I, I would say I'm more organic, but I do take copious notes. I mean, I'll take sometimes get a book in my head for a year, for months, and just have hundreds of pages of notes, but not outlines, and I don't map things out. I sort of like to see the story take on its own life. I, I might have an idea right. where it's gonna go and where I even think, what I even think the ending might be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as writers, we all know that, you know, that doesn't often happen. But I, I love to see the story just take a life of its own. Um, 
how many times has it happened to you, if it's happened to you, where you set out to write a character and you, you know, you kind of have an idea of who this guy is or who this, this lady is and you start writing them and they decide that they're somebody else and they push back at you and they're, they just turn out to be different than you thought they were going to be. Yeah. That happens often. Not so much with the protagonist, um, although it did happen with Frank mm -hmm. um, a little bit, but with, with I don't want to say minor characters because they're not really minor, but with other characters that were, you know, you have one idea about them and then all of a sudden they become something else. Yeah, that, that happens often with yeah. me. How did, how did Frank change? How did, he, how did he turn out differently or a little differently than you originally Im imagined him? Well, the, f the first draft, uh, believe it or not, was he was very, very even more violent than he is. Um, and certain characters died in the book. That, um, and I have an incredible editor, Josh Kendall. And, and um, he said, can we maybe soften them up a little bit? And I think that was the best advice I could get because – with Frank, you, you have to take a character that can be extremely unlikable right. and figure out how to make them likable. So you don't really want to, you know, have them do things that, you know, are just like where you're going to cringe and go, off, oh, you know, no, no way. And so that was the best advice uh, I think I could get from Josh was to, to soften him up a bit. And because um, he did start getting more and more violent. But then when he started softening up, there was a side of him that started coming out, you know, which I liked a lot, which was he could see um, bad guys differently and um, almost empathize with them. And I, I really didn't see it because I, I thought I'd keep the more you know, despite his addiction, the more, more, you know, I'm a, I'm still a cop, Frank Marr, you know? Right. Right. Did you learn anything at writing that series of books? I mean, as a person or as an ex police officer, did it, did it make you grow or, or change the way you saw the world at all? Not really. Cause that's really the world I saw. Um, it, it honed my skills as a writer and throughout the editing process, especially. Um, and um, I became, I think, a, a much better storyteller because of because of the Frank Morris series. What do you what do you think you picked up from writing him as far as far as the art of storytelling, crafting the story? What do you think you you learned? most powerfully that you maybe you didn't know when you first sat down to start writing these? Well, if you read a detailed man, a detailed man, which I, I do love. In fact, Dana King brought up that he was happy to hear us talking about that. Um, that was more stream of consciousness, you know, mm -hmm. and there really wasn't this, it was not story driven. Um, the second girl, what was very story driven. He had to find a second girl and all this other stuff happens in between. And I, I think that the best, the biggest thing I learned was 
to have um, small chapters, and I, I love small chapters because even when I read, I, I you know, I, I like, and, and and the chapter tells me when it's done, but it, it it also I like the idea of finishing that chapter, but you have to turn the next page, you know. Yeah. And there's been some books, you know, you know, a lot of Pelicano's books and stuff like that, where, you know, it ends in such a way where you go, oh, crap, you know, I can't, I can't stop here. And so you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And then, um, then the, the story just unfolds, you know. Yeah. So let me, let me switch gears here. Um, Cause I, I really want to talk about this book. It's City on the Edge. Um, Mulholland, it comes out in May. I'm reading it right now, really enjoying this book. Um, but it is, I mean, it's, you're literally jumping across the world into, into a whole new type of storytelling and genre. Um, the story takes place in the seventies in Beirut. The protagonist is Graham Sanderson, who's, who's 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So what made you decide to make this leap from writing Frank Marr to 12 year old Graham Sanderson? Well, you know, I think that's another example of like becoming a cop and how it changed my life and also writing the Frank Marr series because I had have been wanting to write this book since my twenties because I lived in Beirut. Um, my dad was foreign service, just like in the book, but right. he's, he's not, it's all fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been writing, wanting to write this for, for as long as I can remember. But every version, when I would start, it just was, you know, uh, you know, just too, you know, foo foo, or frou frou, or whatever you call them, too. Uh, it just didn't work. And then um, after Frank Marr, you know, when I pitched the idea to Josh, he actually liked it. And I was very surprised. Yeah. And I had to, obviously, because of the genre, I had to introduce, you know, a little mystery thriller type thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's basically was a, a release for me to, because it's a highly personal book. Um, and again, nothing at all like Frank Marr, but it was a book I, I really had to and wanted to write and just, and I, I didn't know, I, I thought it sucked. You know, I thought when I was done, oh, this, this, this sucks. <laughs> There's, you know, and, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't believe the, still don't believe the response it's getting from trades and stuff like that. And, you know, people who read it. And I think that's because um, it's so personal and that makes it a little more authentic, I think. When but were, it was always there. It was always going to be written. Yeah. What, why did you feel driven to write it? What, what about your own experience in Beirut made you want to write a story set in Beirut? Um, Beirut, out of all the countries we grew up in, Beirut is the one that stands out more, most. And um, it's pre-Civil War. You know, they've rebuilt that, that city so many times. Um, but pre-Civil War, it was just, you would not think today that, you could get a kid could get away with certain things like running around your bay, bare feet in Beirut, just going down to the beach 
with a buddy or going on to Alhambra to the to the main drag, you know, the not main drag, but the the the, 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 the uptown. Right. And worry about like what the things you might have to worry about nowadays. It was just such a different setting and um so beautiful. And I mean the the, the landscape and mm -hmm. um I mean it just cried out to be be written. And you know, having these kids, you know, being I mean, we were so tight, tightly woven together as friends, you know, because we all lived in the same building, went to the American Community School, and so you get really tight. But then the Civil War broke out, and there were curfews and all that kind of stuff. But you know, being a twelve-year-old kid, you know, you tend to ignore such things. <laughs> My dad was never around, and my mother was really off on her own, own thing. And we had a nanny, so all that was real. Mm -hmm. But we snuck out a lot, and that's where the danger was. It was very, very dangerous to do that because yeah. um, not so much to be kidnapped or anything like that, but a stray bullet, you know, bombing, you know, anything like that. So yeah. it, it was just, I mean, the setting, the characters I always had in my head. And then once I, I involved uh, this little mystery and also this intrigue having to do with the father, it just was all very natural. Yeah, I, I like, and, and there's a lot of detail in here about how they do sneak out in the curfews, they do things they're not supposed to do. And it's like, it, it, you know, it's a, almost, it's a coming of age story, but it's set in an area where there's war and pre-war Mm -hmm. So they go camping and funny things happen and there's a flood and there's tanks and there's bombs and there's curfews mm -hmm. and, you know, there's the mystery at the heart of the story. So you have, you kind of have the both, the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I almost think that with the relationship between Graham and his friends, the parents, it could be, you know, a Mark Twain thing that happened in the United States, except that what's going on around them adds a, a lot of tension. Yeah, and, and very foreign. Appreciate. Yeah, yeah and, but it is very American. I mean, because one of the biggest deals was when a kid would go stateside, and, and this was in the book, and then he'd come back, you know, he'd take orders, you know, like how many Tootsie Rolls you want, how many snickers, right. Right. you know, whatever. And you get all these orders, you know, and then, you know, when you you get your bounty when that kid comes back, because you couldn't get stuff like that there. So right. it's a, a very American, even though, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Mark Twain. I mean, I don't compare myself to him at all. I wouldn't have the nerve or the guts, but, um, but it is a very American story. Uh, it's an American story set in a foreign setting. Mm -hmm. So do you want to tell, just tell us a little bit about it, set the book up for people who might be interested in reading it um, to hook them into it. Cause I'm hooked into it. Oh geez. That's so, I'm so terrible at that. <laughs> well, it's, it centers around um, Graham Sanderson, who's um, 12 years old, but it's, it's being told, by his older self, who happens to be a, a, a DC detective. Mm -hmm. And um, 
um, he gets involved in a situation. They have a fort that they build called the Chameleon Fort, which is built out of a thicket. And they would always go in there and do their spying and stuff like that. And he was there alone one time, witnesses something. And um, that becomes very dangerous. Um, you know, he witness, witnesses a murder. Um, but I think the what came out of the story that actually surprised me and I really didn't know was the response that you know, a lot of people were, are saying like in Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and stuff like that. So just so far, just trade, not just, I mean, some nice trade magazines Yeah, is the, the intrigue with the father that's sort of making it sort of like spy mm -hmm. type. I didn't think of that at all. You know, I was just trying to think of having a kid in this setting going through this mystery and, um, trying to figure it out. And you, you remember, um, I was highly influenced by um, Stephen King's The Body, mm -hmm. which became um, Stand By Me, um, where they have this group of kids and the mystery is that they are, are the, is there's this dead body they wanna go see down the river, right. you know? And it was just a little short story, but it was done so well. and so suspenseful just having to do with a body you've never seen or you don't see until the end but just the, the trouble these kids get into along the way and stuff like that it's just that that was a big influence did you um did you base any of the characters his friends roddy lenny anybody else on kids that you actually knew in beirut and powed around with no, no, that, that's not me. No, I'm, I'm truthfully, it's not, it's not me, and it's not any of my friends. Um, they're total fiction. I'm, I'm really nothing like Graham. I was a little more of a introvert, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very much an extrovert. When you wrote the book, and you're, I, I guess you, you know, you're drawing from some memories that you had from Beirut. When you were done with the book, did you did it did it bring into sharper focus your experience in Beirut? Did it make you re remember things better, or 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 say to yourself, you know, I didn't take that away at the time, but now I realize I learned this or or that. Yeah, the family dynamic, mm -hmm. um, my my family dynamic, um, very much. You know, I mean, to the point where. It just uh, it bothered me in a way, in a good way. It bothered me that that's what I took out of it. But there were certain things that that are real that happened, like the sandstorm and the right. camping trip. Right. But actually, in the camping thing, you, the way it really happens, um, how the tree is felled, felled is that correct? How the yeah. tree is taken down. Um, is actually chopped down by my dad, and, but that was not believable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to write that it's almost like, no, no, that, you know, right. but he actually did that, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. dropped the tree across a flooding river, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, but all that other stuff is, um, didn't happen. Um, okay. I did discover a gun, mm -hmm. did get in trouble with a gun, yeah. didn't shoot it. 
But um, my first experience shooting a gun was uh, uh, my dad's uh, uh, army issued a 45 cal and right. literally knocked me to my ass. Man. <laughs> yeah. That, that taught, taught me that, like, this is not something to be messed with, you know? Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I found the scene of where Graham's father takes him after he discovers the gun. His father takes him basically does what you're talking about, teaches him how to shoot a gun, teaches him safety. It was very touching because it was a father-son moment. The father is out, you know, taking his son to do this kind of rite of passage thing that's very mm -hmm. important. And I, I mean, I, I was deeply touched by that. And I, mm -hmm. and I think there are a lot of genuine moments in the book where it, it resonated with me at, at, just as a person thinking, wow, something like that happened to me when I was growing up. And yeah, that's what some people say. And I think that is, that's the biggest compliment I think I can get because I didn't know if this would resonate with other people because it's so deeply personal to me and takes place in an environment. Um, believe it or not, the copy editor, mm -hmm. um, whose father was in the same sort of field, but he grew up in London and went to American Community School in London. He was just like, oh man, this is, you know, reminds me so much of my yeah. childhood, you know, except there was no war going on, but just that whole American Community School camaraderie, that whole, that whole thing, you know. I mean, you can put that anywhere. You put that in Osage, Minnesota, population 400, and it's still gonna, you know, be the same kind of experiences that, you know, coming of age experiences. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Yeah, and I, and I think you do just a, a wonderful job with that. Thank so, you. Let me ask you, what, what's, what's up next? What are you working on now, if you're, if you're allowed to tell us? Um, well, it's a book that takes place in 1987. Mm -hmm. um, that's another year that really stuck out to me. I was a concert promoter at a club called Bogarts in Long Beach, California. Right. where everyone from the Pixies to the Red Hot Chili Peppers to to uh, Paul Stanley from Kiss to B.B. Oh. King, I could go on and on. They all played there. And I thought about this idea about having a doorman mm -hmm. who's uh, either going to be ex-military or an ex-cop, but only did a few years and just didn't like it, and involving uh, a mystery uh, surrounding a, a murder um kid that that goes it was sort of alternative the club was very alternative and punk in many ways so um i was gonna have it be like a, a punk rocker type kid that's sort of not being lucked at enough by the police and it just turns into something um almost like roadside prophets where he mm -hmm. the character you know, um, just gets little pieces of wisdom from, I'm gonna actually have a scene with Hunter Thompson and Tim oh, yeah. Perry and, you know, stuff like that based based on stuff I remember. Mm -hmm. And I even have a good Pixies um, story, but I, I'd have to get to them and ask if I can use it. It's not bad, it just involves a, a box of Captain Crunch and finishing it in a hotel room, but nothing bad. <laughs> No drugs, nothing like that. <laughs> okay. <Cat and> crunch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, you have just, you know, reading your biography, you, have, you, you really did so many different things that you have such 
a real treasure trove of experiences to draw on mm -hmm. uh, in your writing, and you certainly uh, make good use of them. If right. if if a if a young person came to you and, and said, um, David, I want to be a writer. What what do I do? What what would be your first piece of advice to somebody who wants to be a writer? Write <laughs> and don't <laughs> don't ever realize the obstacles that are in your way. Because once you realize the obstacles, you're just going to screw yourself because it's so difficult. Um, to get published but just for me it took i'm not going to give up my age but for me it, you know i got published in my my early 50s you know and um so it took a long a long time but i'm not saying that that i would not not want to uh scare some kid into saying okay no but to get ready for getting published when you're 60 something years old or 50 or 40 ah, no, i'm not going to live that long but <laughs> you know just keep writing and i think the most valuable thing i learned was um from um jeffrey deaver and actually james grady too is have that set time mm -hmm. where you just sit and if nothing happens nothing happens but just have that set time all the time whether and if you end up just staring at a blank screen for that whole time, then you're staring at a blank screen. But once you break that yeah. that pattern, I mean, you can, you know, have a tougher time writing. You know, but there's different kinds of writers. I mean, some some kid might be incredible at research. You know, I'm lousy at research. I respect those who can research well and just, yeah. you know. But I write based on experience. No. So, write and live. Write and live. Write and live. <laughs> yeah. Treat your body well right. so you can live long. Right. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So I think I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, this is for everybody who's listening in. This is William L. Myers Jr. You are listening to Writing Wrongs on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I've been talking with David Swinson about his latest book, City on the Edge, which I highly recommend. I'm really enjoying it. And about his other books before that. Um, David, are there um, social media credentials that you can share with people? Where can they find you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever? Yeah, I'm on, on Facebook, David Swinson, um, S-W-I-N-S-O-N. And I'm on Twitter under at Case Jackets you know, uh, C-A-S-E jackets and um, uh, Instagram. If you can find me there, I can't even find myself there. <laughs> but, um, and then I have a, a, a website, uh, davidswinson.com. Okay. Um, wrapping this up, this is William L. Myers Jr. I am the author of the Philadelphia Legal Series. You can find me at... Um, on Amazon, where the books are sold, or www.williamlmyersjr.com. David, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank really you. Okay, take care. Thank you. Thank you.